0: There's, there's really no way to say that without him getting offended. But guess what the best thing for him to be is right now? Offended by you. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for listening wherever you're coming from. I love to do this. Happy Monday to everybody. Uh, Happy bingers. If you've been binging this podcast, I I love you. Uh, The way you could help me with this podcast, if you want to help me, the best thing you could do is tell a friend. I mean, you could could share it on whatever social media, but you know, like the best thing to do is just say, you know what? Granger Smith podcast. I love listening to it. People are like, where's that? And you're like, it's on the... Apple Podcast app or on Spotify or on YouTube or wherever else. You just tell them. That really helps me. I love you guys. I love doing this. I love reading your questions as if we're just having a conversation between each other. And you could email me, GrangerSmithPodcast at gmail.com. GrangerSmithPodcast at gmail.com. The question could be about anything. First question, subject line says, me. And the question says, hey, Granger, my name is Carter. Carter. And I'm 15. I'm from Medina, Ohio. I recently got hit and hospitalized during a football game. The doctors found a non-cancerous cyst on my brain that needs brain surgery to remove it. I'm contacting you because I don't know. You'll just give me good advice, but I'm scared something bad is going to happen and I'll never be the same again. I know God is with me, but for some reason, that's not helping. Sincerely, Carter. What's up, buddy? Shout out to Ohio uh, I've been to your town. I, I like it a lot. And I'm so sorry that you're going through this. It's, it's got to be uh, really scary and really tough for you. Um, it, and, and a blessing. Think, think about this, Carter. Think about, first of all, the blessing that you got hit in football and hospitalized. And through that, they found this cyst on your brain. So right now I'm like, okay, well, somebody's looking after you. That's the first thing I could say. Is that a coincidence? I don't believe in coincidence. Co- coincidences. I don't believe in accidents. I don't believe in luck. I believe in God's purpose. So let's get right to what you know I'm going probably going to say. Your last sentence says, I know God is with me, but for some reason it's not helping. I will say this to you. Lovingly, as a friend, and I've been I've been 15, and I'll say this straight up. You don't know God's with you. You don't know. Let me go one step further. You don't know God. You don't, Carter. Otherwise, you wouldn't have said what you just said. You would never say, I know God is with me, but for some reason it's not helping. Well, my easy answer is you don't know God. Because if you knew God as revealed in the Bible, you wouldn't hesitate, you would be bold and courageous. Go through the Bible. Look at some of the promises. Look at the character, the nature of him, the sovereignty of him. That means he is in control of everything. Everything is in his hands. You see that as revealed in the Bible? You're not going to you're not going to question if he's helping you or not, or if he's with you or not, or if he is who he says he is or not. It's just plain and simple. You'll you'll come back to me and you'll go, "Man, I'm scared." I'm worried about the surgery, but I know God has a purpose in this. And so instead of asking why God, or or are you here, God, or is this going to be okay, God? You'll say, God, what am I going to learn from this? This This is the biggest thing I've ever gone through. I'm assuming, Carter, this is your biggest thing you've ever gone through. The most impactful thing you've ever gone through in your life. And so you sit back on that rock that he is. And you go, I trust you. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm praying that the doctors have a steady hand and that the surgery goes well and that, that their education comes through and their knowledge of my brain comes through and that they, they perform this, this surgery on the cyst and they remove it perfectly and then I wake up and they tell me everything is okay. I pray for that. But otherwise, if not, I'm also praying for your purpose. I'm praying for whatever needs to happen according to your purpose, for your will, for your good, will happen. And I trust that. If I wake up and there was a problem, God forbid that happened to you, buddy, but God forbid if there was a problem, you go, God, okay, level two. What are you telling me through this now? What do I need to learn through this? How how, how do you find this stuff? How do you find what I'm talking about? There's only one book. It's called the Bible. You start going through that. You start reading some of his promises over and over and over. You read the experiences that men had when they encountered the glory of God. You find it in Ezekiel chapter one. You find it in Daniel chapter 10. You find it in Revelation. You find it, uh, Paul had an encounter. Moses had an encounter. Elijah had an encounter. All these times when when men encountered, uh, Peter and John and James had an encounter. When you see these men encounter the glory of, the God, of God, they do, they all do the same thing. They fall on their face. They fall on their face because of the crazy glory that they're encountering. So if you saw that, if you knew him in that way, the almighty creator in that way, you, you wouldn't say, are you here? I don't really know. It's not, it's not helping this brain surgery thing. I don't mean to downplay it because brain surgery is crazy. It's crazy serious. But if you saw that image, that glory of God, you'd just be like, you'd just fall on your face and be like, I trust you. I trust you. You're going to lead me through this. Whatever it means for my life, I trust you. That's it, man. That's it, Carter. Next email, the subject line says, connecting, reconnecting with my husband. Hey, Granger, I'd like to stay anonymous. My husband is in the military. We're currently stationed in Maryland, 24 hours from my home state of Texas. When I first moved here, my husband had been stationed here for a while, so he had already found a church for us to go to. The first day I walked into this church was the first day I finally felt like home, away from home. We quickly connected and began going to every service and activity we could that didn't last long. After a couple months of going, my husband will switch to a night shift where he works every other weekend. So it became hard to attend regularly. He would go I would go by myself on the weeks that he was working, but then it got to where my husband stopped going even on the days that he was off. I mentioned going to church and he always has an excuse of why not to go. This really upsets me because we both have always believed that it's important to be connected in the church wherever you are. Since he's been he's been on the night shift, he's become closer with the men he works with who are atheists and have expressed that anytime we mention God, they say that. They have spoken very disrespectful about God and still my husband likes to hang around them. He's been sleeping all day until he has to get up and get ready for work and even on his days off. So we barely even have time together anymore. It just seems like he has no motivation anymore and it breaks my heart. He was so full of life and joy and I hate to see that it's gone. I've talked to him about this, but he's just not really taking it seriously, and I don't know how to get through to him. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Okay, Anonymous. Um, It's a tough situation, but you're not alone. You're not alone in a situation like this. Let me start here. Don't nag him. Don't nag him. He's, he's, uh, He's working hard. He has a difficult job in the military he's away from home as well he is he is stationed here in maryland and he's got a lot going on don't nag him about this don't say you used to have joy you used to love the lord you're hanging around those atheist guys and they're just bringing you down and not I, I don't want to go by myself to church and hey is that stuff not true no it's it's true but you don't need to nag him about it. You don't need to talk in that way. Instead, you love him and you forgive him and you're there for him. Whenever he needs you, you are there for him. That's hard to do. It's easy for me to sit here on this podcast and say it. It's harder to do, but you get up on Sunday morning and you get dressed and you say, hey babe, I'm going to church. Do you want to go with me? And he says, no, I'm I'm tired. I'm I'm just going to sleep. And you go, okay. Um, do you want to meet for lunch when I'm coming home? And he's like, um, yeah, I guess. And you're like, hey, do you. since you've been working so hard and you're tired, you want me to just pick something up? I can pick some lunch on on the way. I could pick it up and bring it to us. And he's like, yeah, I guess I'll take a burger. And you're like, okay. And you leave it at that. And you get dressed and you go. And you come back and you get the burger and you bring it back home. And you go, here you go, babe. You feeling a little bit better? You still tired? And he's like, of course, he's got a burger in his hand. So he's like, I'm feeling a little better now. And you're like, good. you're like, man, church was, pastor so-and-so was so good this morning. It was good. It was exactly what I needed to hear. It just, ah, it just gives me so much peace. It just gives me, I just just feel the presence of God when I hear him speak. And it was really good today. And he's like, yeah, I I, I don't know. And then you just leave it at that over and over and over on repeat. This is what you do. And you just love him and you're just there for him. You just forgive him. You don't nag about his friends or who he's hanging out with. Now on the the outside, you can go to other, some other people and you can go, Hey, Hey, pastor. Hey, Mr. Elder or small group leader or whatever my husband's slipping. What can I do? What can I do? So you're seeking wise counsel. You're going to like a women's group and you're, you're part of a small group with other women. And you, you just pour into these women and you just tell them I'm struggling with my husband and someone else in that group is going to go, me too. Same thing, same story. And you go, what do we do? And some of the older ladies then go, honey, here's, here's what we would recommend. And then you just follow that. And you go, what, what should I say to him? And then in the meantime, you're coming home, you're bringing food, you're just super sweet. Don't let it get to you. You can't control him. You can only control how you react. I say that all the time on this podcast, right? Just love him. Love him. Be there for him. Don't let this eat away at you. Live it. Live out the gospel. You think Jesus went out and just drug people around and said, why did you believe? Turn around, hurry up, believe. What's wrong with you? He didn't do that. We just loved them. Do that. Read your Bible. Follow Jesus. Do that. That's my answer. Next question line says, struggling with grief losing my grandpa. Hey, Granger, my name is Marissa. Thanks for your podcast. I thirst listening to them. I love that. I've been struggling for years with the grief of losing my grandpa. I know it doesn't come close to what you've been through. But maybe you can give me some pointers or advice about grieving. Let me stop Let me stop right there. Marissa, that is not true. You cannot relate anybody's grief to each other. Grief is different. It's always relative to the, to the life you're living. You loved your grandpa a lot. I didn't. I didn't know your grandpa at all. So I can't relate at all to your grief. You're probably talking about me and River. You didn't know River, so you can't relate to that either. So we are relative only in our own space of our own lives that we're living in. So we can't compare. I don't care if you lost a dog or a job or a car or a grandpa or a son or a father or a mother. I don't care. It's relative to who you are in your life and your space and what you know right now. So this is hard for you. Don't downplay that and don't think that you can compare and act like you're less than me. It's not true. Okay, let me continue. He said, even though I lost him in 2008, it still replays in my head the day that it happened and where it was at that moment and where I was when I found out. He was my best friend. He taught me a lot about life and fishing and horses. And I talked to God and I asked him, why did he take him away? And I just struggle with him being gone. Your song, That's Why I Love Dirt Roads, makes me think of him. And I thank you for that song. If you can please read this. I'm really craving for your advice and the Holy Spirit in you and your words. Thank you, Granger, Marissa. So I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That's the first thing I could say. Grandpas are tough. Grandpas are tough to lose because we're so close to them. You know You know something else about grandpas? We're going to lose them. That's like the, the, That's the one person in our family that we're most likely to lose. I don't know statistics, I'm just guessing, but I'm going to say if there's anybody in your family, the most likely person for everyone that's listening right now to, to lose or has already lost is grandpa. That was my first loss. I was eight years old when I lost my grandpa on my mom's side. It was my first funeral. It was my first reality check of mortality and death. And I sat next to my mom as she was grieving the loss of her dad. And I sat next to my grandma who was grieving the loss of her husband. And I saw that from the eight-year-old eyes. And it had affected me. And we're all going to lose grandpas. Like, nobody listening. It's very rare that you would die before your grandpa unless it's, unless you die of a young age, right? That being said, that doesn't change the grief. Grief is... Equal to the amount of love we have for him. So if you loved your grandpa a lot, which it sounds like you did, you're gonna miss him, you're gonna grieve him, you're gonna mourn for him a lot, equal to the amount of love you had. So the first thing to see there, and what I just said, the way, the way we unpack that is like, I'm grieving a lot because I loved a lot. So the next question is, would I rather have not loved so that I would not grieve? It's like, of course not. That's, that's ridiculous. There's no way I would trade the love I had for my grandpa just so that I wouldn't grieve. Okay, well, right there, there's there's a positive thing there. Like we, we already realize the love is worth it so much. The love you had for him is so valuable to you in your life and still will be forever that it's worth the pain of losing him. That's crazy, right? 2008's a long time. It's a long time to still struggle and to sit down and to type this email out to me for something that happened what fourteen years ago. So I need you to I need you to think about this. You obviously loved him a lot, okay. At this point in your grieving, if this was six months, this is a different conversation. Fourteen years. Here's the deal. You're going to have to start taking the things that make you sad, like the day that it happened and where you were when you found out. You're going to have to start using these things to your advantage, and you're going to have to start finding all the good things about them that still live on. For instance, you said some of it in your email. He taught you to fish. He taught you about horses, about life. So now every time you get around a horse, you have this little bit of gratefulness that's like, huh. Thank you, Grandpa. You taught me this. Every time you get that fishing pole in your hand and you cast out into the water, and that lure hits the water and bounces off and sinks, the ripples come out. Big bass comes and hits it. You think, "Thank you, Grandpa. You taught me how to do this." And you smile. You smile about it. You're not sad about it. You're like, "Oh man, I lost him. I don't. I don't have him anymore." It's like you still do because you're fishing and that that extends his life with you in your heart because you're fishing and you're doing that with him because he taught you that and then you smile and you're like man i'm so i'm so blessed that i had a grandpa that taught me to fish because i know a lot of people and i do personally and you do too i'm sure marissa that didn't have a grandpa in this way my kids good example my dad died in 2014 London was two, and Lincoln was a newborn. River and Maverick, my other two sons, never knew their papa. My dad, my dad would have been such a good grandpa. He would have been so good at teaching them how to fish, teaching them how to drive a truck on a dirt road, teaching them about animals and cows and deer and horses. He would have been so good with that stuff, but they never got it. Because they never knew him, they never loved him in that way, so they don't grieve him at all. Would you rather trade with them? Would you rather trade places with my kids and go, I never had a grandpa, I don't even know what it's like? Or would you rather say, man, I miss my grandpa every day, but I'm so blessed to have had him because he loved me and I loved him and he taught me so much stuff that I still have today. And now when you teach somebody how to fish, Guess who's teaching that person? Your grandpa. And most likely, his daddy or his grandpa taught him. And it just passes down in that way. You are so blessed. Think of it that way. It's not a tragedy. Nothing in life is a tragedy. It's it's all purposed. God purposes everything. Use that. Realize that it's not meaningless. It's not an accident. It's not a tragedy. It's something you're using. It's preparing you for something. What is it? Listen to my words, Marissa. This is your road to healing. Let's take a break. Be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast. A few things I want to tell you. First of all, if you want to meet me, you could always find my tour dates, hopefully coming close to you at GrangerSmith.com. Click on the tab, Meet Granger. We don't have that many more tour dates this year, so I'd love to see you at one of them. Second of all, you could always get a hold of me at Cameo.com slash GrangerSmith. That's how you can get a video announcement from me of some sort telling you happy birthday or happy anniversary or maybe some pep talk for you or anyone else that you want to send it to. Holidays is a great time to do this. You could also download the Cameo app at C-A-M-E-O and then search for me, Granger Smith. It's super easy. I do these every day. I'll make a video message for you or whoever you want me to finally the yee yee apparel fall launch comes out september the 30th i just did a photo shoot for this yesterday and i love all the new stuff new coats jackets long sleeve tees short sleeve tees hoodies and caps all ready for you go to com. make sure you log in at 10 a.m central because you don't want your favorite sizes to be sold out back to the podcast If you want to email me, email GrangerSmithPodcast at gmail.com, GrangerSmithPodcast at gmail.com. And the next question, subject line says, could use your advice. Hey, Granger, my name is Brittany. I'm 35 years old. I've never had a boyfriend. It hit me hard this year that I may never have a chance to be a mom. I would love to find someone to love and possibly have a family with. But unfortunately, my time to have kids is getting closer to the end, and I don't have anyone in my life. I ask God daily if I'm meant to have a family or not. I just don't know where to find somebody. My life consists of work. I'm a medical assistant, gym, and the park. I love listening to your podcast while working. I do go to many concerts each year, about 30 this year alone. I love music, but I haven't found anyone. Would love to get your thoughts. You give really good advice. Some of your advice has hit me close to home. Thanks. Brittany from Gray, Tennessee. P.S. I've had the pleasure of seeing you twice in concert. First was in 2016, and uh, last year at Bristol Motor Speedway. Hope to see you in p- concert again. And then she puts a picture here of me and her. I love that. Thank you. It, it, I love to see a picture with this. It helps me. Helps me. I, I remember you, Brittany, very well. So thank you for doing that. And thanks for your email. I think um, I think I think your email is very sincere. And very heartfelt, and um, and very understandable. You are not alone, man. How many times could I say that? It probably feels like you're you're looking at your clock, and you're going, "I'm 35. I'm alone. I don't know anyone else that's alone at 35." That's what you're thinking, right? Everywhere I look, someone has somebody that they love, and they have kids and my clock is ticking, and I might run out of time, and I'm the only one, and I'm here to tell you, first and foremost, you're not alone. I know that because I see them. I know that because of all the emails I get to this podcast. I get thousands of emails, y'all. I see all different scenarios. I see yours, Brittany, your scenario, your age, your same questions. I also see people your age that are divorced three times, and they're battling custody with, with the kids, or they're paying child support, or they're in a rough, abusive, emotionally disturbing marriage of some sort, or they're, they're locked in a relationship where there's no love, and they don't know what to do, and they feel lost, and they too feel like they're the only ones. Part of the, part of the reason I tell you this, Brittany, is because a, a big piece of what I want to tell you is, be still. Be still. Wait. Wait for the Lord because you're in a pretty good situation, and you don't think you are. But I'm telling you, and I'm looking at your picture, you're in a really good place, because you have no ties. You have a clean slate. You just turned the chapter to your book, and there's nothing on the page yet. It's waiting to be written. You don't have tons of ghost-in-the-closet skeletons. You don't have tons of baggage. You don't have... Some, you don't have a husband that it's, that's at home that's an atheist now, like the first question I read. You don't have to worry about counseling or problems with, with kids and, and a father that's abusive to them. You have none of that. All you have right now is time to wait. You Let me say this really clearly. You are not too old to find love. You are not too old to have a baby. If it does happen, God willing, it could happen fast. You could meet someone today. You can get engaged in six months. You could be pregnant in eight months. You could have a baby next year. I'm saying it could happen that fast. And then you have a baby and you're 36 and it's like... Why was I even worried, God? Like, why why did I question? You were setting this up for me. You were setting, you're giving me space so that the perfect man could come at the perfect time and everything aligned just right. And then you look back and you go, golly, I questioned this. And this is, this is exactly where I need to be now. And I can't believe I questioned it. I can't believe I even wrote an email to Granger Smith and he read it on this podcast. And now looking back in hindsight, I was exactly where I needed to be. You're, you're a beautiful girl. You have passions. You love music. Strategically, this is where I would go. I'd go to church. What a great place to meet a guy. Like you're going in the house of God. You're meeting someone that's just chasing after Christ. I've got a brother. I'm just saying i got a brother and he's 39 and he's single. Okay, there's many people like that out there. So you go to church and, you, and you're just like, God, I'm, I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you in my singleness right now. I'm going to praise you that you have protected me and kept me single. I don't know the reason, and I'm not going to ask you. You ever think about this? God has a plan. He has, he, has, he has purposed everything. He has aligned everything. It's like this. It's like, have you ever seen... In Europe or somewhere where they have mosaics where it's like little tiny pieces of tile and they're all different colors and they're random. Thousands of them. And you put them together and you put all these tiny pieces of tile together and you you start attaching them here and it doesn't look like anything but a blob of color. And then you you climb up on like a ladder, six foot ladder, and you look down at the mosaic of what you've been doing, and there's this beautiful painting this beautiful image of this great piece of perfect art. And you go, God, that's what this was? I was just, I was just down here looking at these tiny pieces of tile and it looked like nothing. It looked worthless to me. But then I got up here on this ladder and looked down and it's just beautiful piece of art. That's what my life was? Yes. You're down there on the tile and that's okay. That's where, that's all we can handle. The only thing we can handle is being on the ground with the tiny tiles. Because if we got up on the ladder and we saw the full picture of what's going on, we would start planning things out on our own. We'd be like, oh, that's where we're going? Is this going to be a mountain scene with a sunset and a river and beautiful trees? Okay, well, then I'm going to start working on the clouds. And God's like, I don't want you on the clouds. You're working on the trees. Keep working on the green tiles. I'll get you to the blue when you need to get to the blue. So you go to God and you go, God, I know I've been, I've been asking you daily, like you said, I've been asking you daily if I'm meant to have a family or not. God, I just want to know, am I going to have a family or not? I've been asking you this every single day. Change it. Change the prayer. So now it's like, God, you have a plan. You have a purpose. I was wonderfully made for your purpose. And so I'm going to trust that purpose. Now, you know my heart. You know my desire is to be a mother and to have someone that I love and cherish as a husband. But I'm not going to ask you for that. I'm just going to keep serving you and praising you for the work that you're doing in my life because I don't know what it is. And you're a lamp to my feet. Meaning I get step by step. I get the light every step. But don't shine the light too bright ahead of me because I'll start making plans and I'll screw them up. So I'm going to trust you, God. You know my heart, but I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to be still. I'm going to wait for you. And so, Brittany, I would go to church. <laughs> I would go to church, and I would, and I would, I would get involved in groups there. Not just Sunday morning, and you come in and you co- and you go out and you sit in the back row and you come out. I'm talking about front row churching. I'm talking about, hey, how can I get involved? How do we serve? Are we serving? Like, actually, we serve every other Saturday. We serve the community. We go out and we feed or we, we repair houses or we fix broken limbs. But we do that every other Saturday, Brittany. That's what they're telling you. And you're like, cool, sign me up. And they're like, okay, we'll see you at noon on Saturday. And we're going to give you a t-shirt. And you just show up at this location. So you show up and you're like, okay, God, I'm serving you. I'm doing this for you, God. I'm, I'm pouring into you, right? And then you do this. Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. And then you're like, hey, what else could I do? And they're like, well, we have a women's small group. The women's group meets on Friday mornings at 7 a.m. And you're like, sign me up. And they're like, cool. We got, a, we got a space at a table for you. So you show up. You're like, here I am showing up. I'm content. I'm single. I'm trusting and I'm showing up. And they're like, what else could I do? And they're like, well, we got a mission trip to Mexico. It's next June. We're going to go there. And we're going to help this community. We're gonna help a local church there. And you're like, sign me up. And you show up again. You gotta, you gotta back off a few of the concerts. I know that might be tough, but give give a few of the concerts a break. And then you go to Mexico and you show up. And you're like, here I am, God. I'm yours. I'm not gonna ask you questions. I'm not gonna wonder. I'm, I'm not I'm just I'm just gonna trust and I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna serve. And then you go back home from Mexico. And you go to your small group and you come back home. And then on Saturday, this new guy shows up, just moved to town, 38 years old, handsome guy. (laughs) And he's like, Hey, I just moved, but uh, I wanted to be part of this church and I want to serve. I got a heart for God. And so I showed up here at noon and they gave me a t-shirt, but I don't know anything about this town. And you're like, well, I'm Brittany. And I do know a lot about this town. And I've been serving at this church for a couple of years now and I could show you. And then your heart starts beating, and you're like, hey, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And God's like, just wait for me. Now, that's a hypothetical situation here, but I'm just saying, Brittany, this is the kind of stuff I could see happening to you, and then you're going to email me back. In fact, do this. I'm going to call it right now. I want you to do what I said, and I want you to have a heart like I mentioned, and I want you to email me back and say, Granger, guess what? I found this guy, and then you send me a picture of that. Don't send me a picture of me and you again. Send a picture of you and the guy. And then eight months down the road, you send me a picture of that little uh, pregnancy test that says positive, okay? Just saying. I'm pouring that into you right now. Next question. I'm all worked up. Subject line here says, thanks for all you do. Hey, this is Harrison. I emailed you a while back about a friend. I took the advice you gave me. It's definitely been a huge help. Another thing I'm struggling with is the same friend is not Christian anymore. Used to be though. Side note, I am a Christian. The thing I'm struggling with is whenever I hang out with him or talk with him or find myself find myself doing stuff that's not glorifying God with him, talking bad about people, swearing, etc. How do I best go about telling him that I'm trying to strengthen my walk with God, but he's hindering it being a bad friend? Meaning, I'm just not I'm just not very good to hang out with him because he is now the opposite of a Christian pretty much. He's been a long-time friend. It's just really hard. What are your thoughts? Harrison, buddy, thanks for emailing. Thanks for emailing again. And if you, Here's the deal, dude. If you're struggling like if this is a problem for you, if if you're if you are wavering in your faith and it's creating a problem, you have to cut this guy off. Lovingly. And and you got to do it in a way where you're like, "Hey buddy, I I need I need some space because I'm not in a good place right now." And I know this is hard to understand. I need you to know that I respect you as a friend and we've been friends for a long time. But I'm I'm really trying to better myself and I need I need to find a new routine. And he's going to take this pretty bad. I mean, there's there's really no way to say that without him getting offended. But guess what the best thing for him to be is right now? Offended by you. He's heading down a bad path. You're saying it yourself. He's a a bad influence on you. Understandable. That's what happens when we get around bad influences. It starts wearing off. That's what we do as humans. When we collect in groups and tribes, we start becoming the core of the tribe. We start dressing alike and talking alike and watching the same movies and acting the same way. That's what we do as people. So it's not a surprise that you're saying it. So you got to cut it off. And guess what the best thing for him is? His good buddy that he's known forever is cutting him off because his good buddy needs to better himself and be closer with God. So that's going to leave him going, what? Man, we had so much fun. And he's going to start questioning, like, if he's, if he's doing that, maybe I should be doing that. Like, what's wrong with me? And all these questions start kicking up. And that's really good for him. It's also really good for you. So that's my suggestion, man. You got to cut it off, not forever, but right now, until you get stronger in your faith, until you could speak up, until you could be convicted enough to not speak the way that he does, to not do what he does, to not follow him into these dark corners that he's going until you could have enough strength to go, nope, not laughing at that joke. Nope, not going down that dark alley with you. Until you're there, and it sounds like you're not yet, which is okay, then you just go, hey man, I got I got plans Friday. I'm sorry. It's tough love. That's what you got to do. Next question. No subject here. It says, Hey, Granger, hope your day's going well. I'd like to stay anonymous. I'm in a bit of a slump. My dad and I have a farm. Our farm consists of, of a small feedlot, grain farming, and haying, A few and a few cow-calf pairs. We can't seem to get everything done, and my dad is getting a little older. He's in his mid-60s. Don't get me wrong. I love my dad, but it seems like he isn't open to hiring anybody to help or trying any different ways of doing things to make this farm work better financially. What are your thoughts or ideas? Yeah, Anonymous. Thanks for the email, man. And I actually read this email on After Midnight a few days ago. And I think it's a good email, and I think it's a great question, and this is what I would say to you, brother. Number one, it's your dad's farm. I know that's tough to hear, but it's it's his farm. It's his way. One day, God willing, this will be your farm, or you'll have another farm. But right now, it's not. It's your dad's. So, I can understand why you're, you want to, you know, you have this hustle mentality and you want to just grow this farm and make it, make it huge financially and and fix all these loose ends. And your dad's like, that's not the way I do it. And you have to respect and honor him for what he wants to do for his farm. And one day you could do it your way. So right now, you could have open conversation with him, and you, you could say, Dad. Could I suggest some things? Now, here's the key the key to this whole thing is when you have suggestions, you have a different way of going about this farm. You can't just bring this idea to him so that you guys can implement it. You have to start and involve him from the get go. What I mean by that is you, he has to own it with you, he has to own the new idea. So it's an open communication. It's like, Dad, do you recognize that this is a problem, this? And he's like, I don't really see that as a problem. And you're like, well, let me show you some examples of other farms that could do it this way, but we need to figure out, and maybe you know the way, right? But you go, I need to figure out a way to get from A to B. And you, had, you already have the answer, but you're not saying it yet because you don't want to own it yourself. So you're saying, dad, I would love to get from A to B. Is there anything? You, Dad, you've been farming for a long time. Surely you have an idea. And he's like, I don't know. Now, you're still not, you're still not revealing that you've already researched how to get to be, right? Dad, how do you do this? You're a farmer. What, what, what kind of stuff have you done? And he goes, you know what we could do? If we were going to do anything, we could do this. And you're like, yeah, Dad, that's a great idea. We could try that. And then, Dad, if we do that, then you kind of, that's when you sprinkle your idea in. We could also do a little bit of this. And your dad's like, that's not, that's actually not a bad idea. Okay. Well, maybe we start at harvest or maybe we start in the spring. We start implementing this new thing in the spring and let's split it up, dad. Like, what am I going to do to help this? And what are you going to do? And he's like, well, I'll do this part, and you do this part, and you go, done, cool. So that way, anonymous, you're both owning it. You're both owning the solution together. You're honoring your dad. It's his farm. You're not changing it on your own will. You're involving him from the very beginning of the problem, and you're bringing him in together from the get-go, from the ground up. And so then when you have success, and you look back, and you celebrate, and you go, Dad, we did it. Look, we raised our gain by this or we did this or we whatever whatever measure of success you're looking at. Dad, look what you did. What a great idea you had, dad. Give him give it to him. Give him the trophy. And he's like, "Well, I mean, it wasn't all me. You helped too." And you're like, yeah, I, I mean, I helped a little bit, but dad, this, you you crushed it. I mean, look what we're doing, what you're doing, Anonymous. Then now you're building this confidence with him that he now feels confident that the farm can adapt and can change, and it can be his idea. And you're just guiding him through the whole thing. And there's a chance that from the very beginning, he says, nope, 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 not doing anything. If that's the answer, you're asking the wrong questions. If he's denying everything, keep changing the question. Ultimately, the most important thing you could do is honor your father. It's his farm. Try not to be frustrated. I know you see you're younger than him, and you see a bigger picture because of the internet or social media or or friends that are doing it a different way. You're seeing the results in a different way. He can't see that yet, but don't let that worry you don't let that bother you. It's not your farm. It's dad's. The most important thing in this whole deal is your relationship with him, not the farm, not the financial success, your relationship with your dad. That's it. Love you guys. See you next Monday. Yee yee.